Hello and welcome to Inside Intelligence, brought to you by the Intelligence Analysis Program and the Johns Hopkins University Office of Advanced Academic Programs. Today's event features Lawrence Dietz discussing the ongoing challenge of psychological operations, or PSYOP. My name is Peter Huggins, and I'm the event producer. Please note, today's program will be recorded and uploaded to the AAP YouTube channel under the Inside Intelligence playlist. During the program, if you have any questions, please feel free to use the chat function, and we'll answer as many questions as possible during the Q&A portion of the event. With that, I will turn over the event to our moderator, Michael Ard, Program Director and Senior Lecturer for the Master of Science in Intelligence Analysis Program. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, welcome everyone to Inside Intelligence. Uh, today we look at psychological operations, PSYOP, sometimes known as military information support operations. What is it? How does it work? Can it give our strategists a competitive edge? And with us to explain it is Colonel Lawrence Dietz, who retired from the U.S. Army Reserves after a distinguished career in psychological operations and military intelligence. He currently serves as General Counsel and Managing Director of Information Security for Tall Global Corporation, an elite security consulting and risk consulting firm. He is an adjunct faculty member for Monterey College of Law and American Military University. He is the author of the authoritative blog on psychological operations, PSYOP, and a member of the bar of the U.S. Supreme Court, California, and the District of Columbia. Among his degrees are a JD from Suffolk University and MSS from the U.S. Army War College. Thank you very much for being with us today here, Larry. Well, thanks for, uh, for giving me and uh, my pal Max the opportunity. Uh... As everybody knows from the pandemic, we, we work from home and uh, my security dog must feel this is an interesting program because he uh, he doesn't really care about, uh, I can't believe it. We, just... we have some, uh, I, I think we are gonna start with some slides today. Let me uh, share them. Okay, so today's uh, program uh, I'm going to go through some slides just to set the stage, and then Michael and I are going to have a discussion, and we're going to open it up to uh, audience questions. So let's go into the first slide, Mike. So these are my personal opinions. I'm not a representative of the United States government. I haven't been actively involved in psychological operations for quite some time. And um, these are my personal views, but I am very active in the PSYOP community. So these are my views. I apologize for this. That'll take care of that. So first, let's talk about what is PSYOP. So today, I'm going to focus on the military psychological operations. Mike mentioned uh, sometimes called MISO, Military Information Support Operations. One of the unfortunate uh, byproducts of PSYOP is there can be a blackness attached to it, uh, such as propaganda and uh, talking with men who, men who talk to goats. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of mystique, and unfortunately, uh, most of it is unjustified. So what we, when we're talking about PSYOP, it's a military force 
whose operations are designed to influence an audience. The audience can be either uh, civilians or military. And the things that use PSYOP, uh, PSYOP can involve different techniques. You can use military force, you can use media. The mixture of the information is really dependent on the mission. Let's go to the next slide. So U.S. military PSYOP in particular, the lead, lead agency for that is the Army, the U.S. Army. And the proponent, the part of the Army that's responsible for PSYOP is the John F. Kennedy Special Warfare Center and School at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which is part of the Army Special Operations Command. PSYOP actually owes its birth to special operations. It was uh, particularly in World War II, the province of special operations forces. In terms of the forces that we have today that conduct PSYOP, there are four PSYOP groups, two of them in the active army, the fourth and the eighth, both of which are at Fort Bragg, and two in the reserve component, the second PSYOP group, which is in Ohio, and the seventh PSYOP group, which is at Moffett Field, California, about 25 miles south at a San Francisco airport. By law, military PSYOP can only be conducted outside the United States. There is only one exception for that, and that's called civil authority information support, which is part of disaster relief humanitarian assistance. So, for example, uh, during a hurricane, uh, military PSYOP units can be mobilized to use their loudspeakers uh, to inform people affected by the disaster of where they can get help, where they can get uh, uh, food or cleaning kits uh, from floods. But that's the only time a PSYOP can be conducted on American citizens. Now, this restriction, uh, as we'll see later on this afternoon, uh, can be a little bit problematic when we deal with the internet and online influence. Next slide, please. So from our military perspective, there are really only two types of PSYOP. One is the tactical PSYOP, which is essentially one, unit, one military unit facing another military unit. And an example might be the Battle of the Bulge, or another example would be uh, I was at part of NATO, part of the stabilization force in Bosnia. I was the deputy commander of the Combined Joint Information Campaign Task Force. And <clears throat> that was a four-star command headed up by General Shinseki. And uh, I was the deputy commander of that unit, the SIAP unit. And even that, even though it was a four-star general with multiple divisions, if you will, uh, was considered a tactical operation because it's a military unit on a military unit. There are more strategic PSYOP. Uh, an example might be the Russian uh, interference with the American election. And that's more of a whole government approach. And I know there's a tendency to think of PSYOP, disinformation, and propaganda as synonyms, but 
Uh, hopefully by the end of the session today, you'll understand why they are not. Let's have the next slide. So <clears throat> by way of history, um, the best uh, source I can refer you to is SciWarrior.com. And at the end of the presentation, I have two slides with resources. And I imagine those of you who are viewing this in YouTube land are clever enough to take screenshots. And of course, the rest of you are clever enough to do that as well. Uh, as a faculty member, I'm always careful to try and provide sources where I can. So um, three highlights. I'll, I'll start with kind of a semi-formal establishment of psychological operations regarded as a propaganda effort in World War I. World War II, Brigadier General McClure, uh, often considered the father of PSYOP, was the head of publicity and psychological warfare division. And that involved uh, evolving to the OSS, again, part of special forces. Uh, in my world, uh, one of the big things that happened in PSYOP was in 2006, when Army PSYOP was split into active and reserve. Prior to that, the Army Reserve PSYOP groups were part of the U.S. Army Special Operations Command. And as such, we had to uh, adhere to the same, same, let's see a uh, quick question there. I don't know if LOL, Nicholas, is the right adjective, but uh, I felt that was a key moment, and we'll see why in a minute. Uh, there's a lot, there are a lot more historical things, and maybe we'll get into them later. Next slide. So uh, Michael asked me to, to focus not so much on transmitting what PSYOP does, but what are the challenges? And I've come up with what I think are the three biggest challenges. And those are, number one, there's no total government influence strategy. The Department of State has a very aggressive public diplomacy program, which is responsible for transmitting American messages and the American way of life, if you will, uh, outside the United States. And there are certain things that other departments can do, but there, there's a national security strategy, there's a national counterintelligence strategy, but there is no national information strategy, even though it is conceded that information is one of the four main instrumentalities of governments, the others being diplomacy, military, and economics. The second challenge is the complexity of online influence operations. And online influence operations include social media, but they can also include cyber attack. So if I have a Pineland, a fictional country, wants to invade Oakland, another fictional country, they might soften up the battlefield by using cyber uh, denial of service attacks on key government websites to shake up the population and then move on from there. The third challenge is, as I see it, is the lack of unity of command. Because the, there are two reserve PSYOP groups and two active PSYOP groups, that means there are two chains of command with lots of generals in the middle. And if ever you've had the good fortune to work for a general or an admiral, you know they don't think they're real people anymore. They're just special. And so when you put bunches of them, 
all the way up to the four-star level, it gets to be an issue. And I think, next slide. Okay, the next two slides are resources. And so uh, I apologize for not having 5,000 uh, PowerPoint slides and being a giant talking voice behind them. But I think it'd probably be more interesting if Michael and I just have a chat from here. And I certainly recommend uh, your blog spot on uh, PSYOP, which uh, I've subscribed to it for some time now and enjoy it when you have a, a posting on it. So I, I think that our uh, all our uh, viewers would be uh, uh, well served if they go check it out for themselves and, and take a look at some of your posts. Thanks. Um, Thanks for the plug, Mike. Psy yeah. PSYOP Regiment. Psyopregiment.blogspot. Psyopregiment.blogspot is the site. So go check it out. And uh, we have a few. Uh, so let's uh, chat a little bit. Uh, first of all, I think a lot of people probably have this question uh, is, how did you get into this? Well, I, I, got, a, uh, I got into PSYOP personally uh, because I was an MI major looking for an Army Reserve job. And I happened to be at the officers club and I met that's in the days when officers club really had people going to them. So you see, this is quite some time ago. So I met uh, this uh, Lieutenant Colonel who was a, uh, an executive officer in the seventh PSYOP group. I interviewed for a job because I hated the reserve job I had. It was in a training unit. And so I became the head of the strategic intelligence team for the seventh PSYOP group when they had one. And it was great fun. And uh, that was in 1989 or 90. And I served the balance of my career in PSYOP. In terms of how people get into PSYOP, the kind of people, uh, you would normally think that it's so close to marketing. I mean, it's not, the, it's similar, it uses the same skills. You would think a lot of psyopers are marketing and sales guys. Well, that's that's not really true. Uh, for example, my headquarters company commander, she ran a nursery, uh, grew plants and stuff. I've, um, when I deployed to Bosnia, my psyop soldiers were postal workers, railroad employees. In fact, one of my psyop soldiers now run now is a general manager of a charity called Saddles for Service. And he's a professional cowboy. He gets paid to be a cowboy, rides a horse. And some of those veterans uh, are, are um, taken to Wyoming and they have a little, uh, little respite there and they learn how to ride horses. And that's a cool thing. On, on the military side of the force, uh, Fort Bragg uh, is home of the 82nd Airborne, home of the Green Berets. And so it attracts a lot of hard chargers, guys that want to jump out of airplanes, eat snakes, know what I mean? And uh, in fact, um, in May, I did a blog entry on a commercial that raised a lot of, lot of concern that it was, uh, PSYOP was like a cult. So <clears throat> PSYOP draws a wide variety of, of folks and uh, it has talents that are involved the customer facing where you are on a PSYOP tactical team, and you go into a location, a village perhaps, or a city, and you're working with people in the city. 
um, talking about various and sundry things, supporting a NATO effort, as we did in Bosnia, elections are good, don't shoot your neighbor. Uh, and then there are other skills like a pressman. The uh, PSYOP force has Heidelberg presses, which are these giant presses that can produce leaflets and posters and more traditional things. So there's no real one career path. And that gets into a little bit my, you know, one of the next things I wanted to ask was, okay, so lots of different ways to conduct PSYOP. What seems to work the best and what hasn't worked so well? Well, I, I think um, there's no really answer to what works, what doesn't work. I mean, there's some general principles. Each situation is different. Uh, what works, there are some principles here. One, credibility. Your audience has to have trust in the source. If you're in a, a theater of operations and uh, you're an American soldier and the population hates America, if you get on the TV and say, hi, I'm an American soldier and you need to stop shooting your neighbor and you need to let women go to school, the audience is just going to roll their eyes like a teenager looking at their parents. So you have to have credibility. Uh, believability, your message has to be realistic in the mind of the of the receiving audience. And like other forms of uh, marketing, uh, you need to have frequency and reach. You need to be able to get to the right audience and you need to get to them more than once. So those are a couple of principles. What about, um, you know, we talked a little bit about chain of command and um, uh, how it was used, but what about when you order a, a PSYOP, you know, when, how does a commander go about making a decision to initiate a campaign? Well, PSYOP is part of the bigger discipline of information operations, joint publication 3-13, I believe is the 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 Bible on that one. And information operations, I consider it to be the non-kinetic fire center. Anything that doesn't shoot bullets or blow things up. So non-kinetic non information operations would include public affairs, uh, civil affairs actions, medical actions, uh, combat camera photography, um, part of a number of other another a number of other uh elements of the military so psyop is one of that so the j39 on the j3 staff joint for those non-military staffs are considered s g j and cj s means the commander is a lower rank than a current than a general so a battalion has an s staff and a brigade commanded by a colonel might have an S staff. A general staff is a G. Joint staff means more than one service. Combined joint means more than one country, more than one service. So the J39 is the, psych is the information operations officer. Dotted line to the J-39 would be the commander of the PSYOP task force. I know this is a long way to get to your question, Mike. But the commander of the PSYOP task force, as the liaison to the commanding officer, provides uh, guidance. Here's my plan. Here's what I can do for you, boss, to enhance your operation. And we can 
we can tell people uh, to stay off the road on Thursday because the convoy is coming through. We can uh, we can send text messages to this particular group of people because we know who they are. We can tell them that we know who they are. We're coming for them. Uh, we can jam radios. So you work with another non-kinetic force, uh, electronic warfare. We can do a denial of service, work with cyber operations. And this is all part of acts designed to influence the behavior. Now it's up to the commander to then decide that they want to have some form of non-kinetic uh, warfare and to uh, with the working with their current plans guy, the J3, and future plans, the J5, the, that team then recommends to the commander what the integrated operations order should look like and what the plan should look like. And then the boss makes a decision. Uh, I should point out that sometimes there's a fair bit of resistance to non-kinetic war because the people in charge are kinetic folks. They grew up in infantry. They grew up in armor. They like to blow things up. And even cyber, in my opinion, is too ready to shoot electrons and do denial of service and malware and is not as versed in influence operations as they could be. Another part of the challenge is that unlike when you blow up something, uh, psychological operations, influence operations, information operations takes a little longer to operate. Uh, the impact is not necessarily felt immediately. Right. And that, uh, you know, one you had mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, the tactical use, you even mentioned the Battle of the Bulge at one point. What what do you think have been some of the bigger successes that um, Army PSYOP has had over the years? Well, I guess my favorite one is one of the instances of cooperation between the Air Force and the Army in the 1991 uh, Gulf War, where the uh, B-52s dropped leaflets and said, mm, you guys better surrender because we could drop bombs from these. And ultimately, that campaign resulted in 69,000 Iraqi soldiers surrendering. That was the fourth PSYOP group out of Fort Bragg, chiefly responsible for that. That would be probably my my bestest good example. What about uh, cases where it didn't work? Well, or at I least guess where we didn't think that the success was we had anticipated a greater success than we got. Well, I think uh, a not so good example was in Vietnam. We had uh, campaigns to try and get the enemy to surrender, Chu Hoi campaigns, and that used a tremendous amount of leaflets. And in my view, they were not very successful. Another success might have been Panama, well, excuse me, Operation Just Cause, where PSYOP forces were responsible for getting the uh, commander of Fort Amador, uh, Amador, where in Panama, to surrender uh, based on some loudspeakers and a combination of showing, well, if you don't want to surrender, we could fire rifles, and they go, no, not rifles. We could fire um, RPGs, boom, bigger boom, or we could blow the heck out of you with howitzer shells, a wham. So you use the kinetic demonstration as a psyop tool, as a psy act, if you will, psychological act, 
uh, inducing the force to change their behavior, in this case, surrender. And was, that uh, works. Was some of our methods uh, effective in Afghanistan like that? I don't have any personal knowledge, but my guess is no. I'm sorry, that was too short an answer. My guess is no. Some of our some of the people in our uh, in our uh, audience today might be able to chime in on that. Okay, so let me go to another question. On uh, now, we've talked about uh, psyop from our point of view. What about point of view from some of uh, uh, adversaries? I mean, there's a lot of countries that do something like this. Uh, who do you think are the best at it? Well, my personal favorite, and perhaps I'm also partial to the cuisine, would happen to be the People's Republic of China. And it's important to note that the People's Republic of China motives and time frame are far different than the Russians. Uh, People's Republic of China, they're in it for the long haul. And uh, they're as much interested in economic success and economic advantage as they are in military advantage. Whereas uh, the Russians are a little bit more heavy handed, um, but those are the, the two lead lead uh, nations, I think, on the world stage that are really good at it. And my blog has a number of examples uh, using both of those, uh, Russians and uh, Chinese. Uh, the Chinese are particularly good at a whole of government approach where their entertainment industry is part of their influence operations uh, portfolio. And that's a really good thing for them. So those are my two favorites. And uh, the Ukrainians have had uh, opportunity to see Russian techniques up close and personal for a number of years. Uh, they've, they're participating in these type of uh, operations themselves. Uh, how do you measure their effectiveness? Well, the, the Russians, I think, are spending more time trying to psyop their, your pardon the expression, psyop their own population than they are the Ukrainians. They, they don't seem to have a lot of, in my opinion, from what I hear, what I read, they don't seem to have a lot of success in psyoping the Ukrainians. Uh, and they're, and uh, Vlad Putin, God bless him, uh, he's the first MI guy I know to get to be chief executive officer. So I have a high degree of respect for him. He's not a combat arms guy. I mean, he started out as a, as a spy. He was a KGB guy, a thug, I guess. Uh, the Ukrainians, on the other hand, have understood that the part of the name of the game is to personify your, your campaign and focus on the soldier, the soldier being the ultimate target. So we had the ghost of Kiev, you might remember that, and um, that, that kind of thing. Plus, uh, the international media is doing a very good job of displaying Russian equipment that's blown up and addressing uh, the impact of the Russian, for lack of a better word, draft. Uh, and uh, I think that uh, the Ukrainians are, I think, winning on the information side, in my opinion. You alluded to it in your presentation, um, the problem of bleed over, you know, bleeding, uh, psyops bleeding over into the internet. Um, there was a, a case recently about fake Twitter accounts that were used. Um, what about, can you speak uh, a little bit toward that dilemma? Well, uh, just for those of you who don't read my blog, and don't read the papers, 
there was an incident uh, where Congress uh, found out about fake Twitter accounts that were pro-U.S. And the implication is that the U.S. government, either military or contractor, was um, behind this effort to promote the U.S. with Twitter accounts, let's say generated by bots, hypothetically. And those are not real people. And so you essentially have uh, propaganda here. Uh, and for those of you who are not propaganda students, we typically divide propaganda into three colors, black, white, and gray. A white is, uh, you know where it's coming from. So this, if the State Department said, uh, America is good, buy bonds, vote, don't shoot your neighbor, that would be white. We know where that's coming from. Uh, the fake Twitter accounts may be gray in the sense of hard to find, not obvious, but I, I know who they are. And black are either intentionally bad or are intentionally shielded. So you can't find who the true uh, person is. They can actually be a, um, you know, a, a person purporting to be something they're not. Right. Thank you for that. Let me uh, go to the questions from our audience now. And if you have a question uh, for Colonel Larry Dietz, uh, please put it in the uh, Q&A or the chat. Uh, so our first question is, um, how can PSYOPs be used to fight global and domestic disinformation campaign that focuses on religious or racial discrimination? Holy mackerel. That's a pretty hard one. Well, first of all, PSYOP cannot be used domestically. Period. End of story. Right. So the real question is who in the United States government, what agency in the United States government is responsible for disinformation? Now, what is disinformation? Now, we have this pesky thing, maybe you've heard of it, it's called the First Amendment. So I could say, for example, Lamar Jackson was awful last weekend. He didn't even hold on to the damn ball. He should be replaced. Now, for those of us that watch part of that game, that's true. But I could also say, you know, the Ravens, they've never been any good. Now, that's disinformation, but I'm allowed to say that because of the First Amendment. So that's a real problem domestically. And as you pointed out earlier, you know, and, and to get to the answer to this question, the State Department also has uh, a, a very extensive and long-running global diplomacy campaign. Well, public public diplomacy. Public diplomacy yes, campaign with respect to issues of, uh, uh, you know, uh, promoting tolerance and, and things like that. So, so that uh, to get to um, Andrew's question. Okay, so uh, next question, uh, uh, Levi asks, how effective is PSYOP as a force multiplier for more conventional military forces? Well, at the risk of sounding like the attorney I am, it depends. Uh, sometimes they're very effective, uh, as in the Gulf War. Uh, sometimes maybe not. It just kind of depends on the situation. I don't think there is a general rule. Although I think PSYOP is a high payoff, low risk, high reward investment by the commander. 
because there's little or no danger to the friendly force and the uh, opposition force has a vulnerability. And like any other population, there's a distribution of people within that audience that are more likely to uh, do what the PSYOP campaign wants them to do. Uh, and maybe they were on the fence. So even a little PSYOP uh, means a big deal. Now, in terms of conventional military force in uh, humanitarian assistance disaster relief, I think the communications tools PSYOP brings to the, to the party are, are very effective because PSYOP is a complement to public affairs. In a commercial company, we'd have uh, the, the public relations department, we'd have investor relations, and we'd have marketing, and we'd have sales. And all four of those would be designed to maximize the profit of the company. And so all of those non-kinetic uh, battlefield multipliers have worked together as a way to leverage the conventional force. So here's another uh, from Duluth. Here's another uh, narrow gauge uh, question for you. Uh, how has PSYOP shifted to the digital age? Well, you know, I wish I had a real answer for that. But like I pointed out in my disclaimer, I'm not in the force. I'm, I don't contract to the PSYOP force. So, I mean, I'm, I'm just guessing. Uh, and I would say that uh, the PSYOP force is gradually moving into digital influence, meaning social media, meaning text messages. Uh, how much of the total mission uh, is now digital, I honestly couldn't tell you. But it's clear that the TTP, Tactics, Techniques, and Procedures, uh, are being evolved in the digital world. But I, I frankly don't have a straight answer. Here's a question from Han, uh, China. Love to hear your views on the Chinese united front, given the current dynamics between US and China. Can you offer something on that? Well, I'm not really sure what uh, Han means by Chinese united front. But yeah, Han, would you um would you offer uh, another uh, re rephrasing of that question in the chat, and we'll see if we can get back to it. Thanks. Um, another question is from when you're talking about lack of total government influence strategy, as you alluded to in your slides. Do you mean a lack of a public strategy by the State Department or a lack of strategy by the uh, special forces community? Which um, uh, can you be more specific? Well, uh, I see it's Lieutenant Fuller. Uh, I'm guessing it's uh, Army Marine or Air Force Lieutenant, not Navy. But uh, the answer to that is a national strategy from the White House. The President of the United States needs to have a national influence strategy. I mean, he's smart enough to have a really good cyber security advisor. She's a crackerjack. She knows her stuff. He needs to have an influence advisor that can cross borders, understand there's a First Amendment problem, understand EU GDPR, right to privacy, understand that the Department of Agriculture actions overseas can be favorably, uh, can be favorably used to further other messaging and Department of Treasury. The President of the United States needs to have a national influence strategy. 
period. Well, I think uh, this question, I think uh, we covered this question on um, the Ukrainian PSYOP and also the point that um, uh, Colonel Larry made was how much, frankly, social media is also assisting or acting as a force multiplier for the Ukrainian efforts in the war uh, and in their PSYOP campaign. Um, next question, can you speak about the coordination efforts between different branches of government? The State Department coordinate with Army. How hard is that to achieve? Well, I think that's um, that's done really at the, the unit level. So, uh, for example, uh, in, in Bosnia, we had a political advisor um, that reported to General Shinseki. And so there is a State Department liaison, if you will. But the State Department, the Defense Department, um, they have to coordinate at various levels. And the Defense Department has to be smart enough to understand that the State Department is the executive agency for foreign relations of the president of the United States. So if I go to a country, uh, even if I'm a three-star general, the ambassador of the country outranks me. She is the president's representative. And so the Department of Defense has to nest under the Department of State in terms of uh, messaging. And that's frankly part of the job of the J-39 as the I.O. officer is to integrate, and uh, I'll use some buzzwords here, so get your buzzword calculator out, synergize, make sure the messages reinforce each other, and deconflict. I hate that word, but make sure the messages don't do information fratricide. And that's part of the reason you have a coordinator, an orchestrator, if you will. Uh, I call the I.O. officer the orchestrator for non-kinetic fires. That's that's his or her job, just like the fire control center is orchestrating missiles and artillery and all that other good stuff. So uh, one of our uh, uh, listeners asked about the recent Washington Post article on PSYOPs over social media and uh, the recent call to halt or review all PSYOP. Uh, why would CENTCOM allow contractors to conduct these operations? Well, if the operations were, let's assume for the moment, the operations are based overseas. Let's assume for the moment, let's put them someplace really cool. Let's put them in Italy. Okay, so let's make it UCOM. Okay, so UCOM has a psychological operations center, I'm sorry, an information center in uh, Italy. Let's put it in Rome. And they work in Europe. They're kind of like a digital radio for Europe. That would be perfectly fine under American law, as I understand it. However, when you have uh, contractors that are based in America, doing it, that's not good. And so here again, we do not have an overarching strategy and framework for influence operations that says, okay, State Department, you do this. DOD, you do this. DOJ, you watch all of this to make sure we don't get in trouble. There is, there is none of that. So I think we would argue that if CENTCOM had that kind of operation based overseas, and it was directed at the foreign audience, that'd be great. If it's in America, 
that's a problem. If there's an accidental spillover to America from my friends in Rome, that's probably okay. Because even the, the law of armed conflict allows a certain amount of collateral damage, presuming that everybody is acting on the best available information and everybody is acting with due diligence. Uh, we spoke a little bit, oh, wait a minute, here's one uh, on how involved is PSYOP and ISA? What does the acronym mean? I don't know what that is. Can you spell that acronym out? Another question, please. Thanks a lot. And next question is, why do PSYOPs succeed or fail? We talked about this a bit, but one of the th questions I had that as we were talking about some of the success stories was, it sounded like, um, let me uh, let me offer this, that uh, it worked best when the the adversary's morale was already deeply uh, wounded from, uh, you know, combat operations, Panama, uh, uh, Gulf the, War. The, susceptib uh, maybe... the, the susceptibility to PSYOP is like the vulnerability of a target. If I have a, a reinforced building that's got eight feet of concrete and rebar, that's going to be a lot harder than a thatched hut. If I have a force that has been battered in combat, if I have a force that doesn't really believe what they're doing, if I have a force that wife just divorced them and they're not really into it, they're going to be far more susceptible. They're going to be a far better target uh, for any kind of influence operations. So I think if we contrast Afghanistan and Panama, let, let me make it very clear uh, through some quirk of fate, I managed to avoid both Iraq and Afghanistan. I did go to Vietnam and Bosnia, but I did not go to uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. My take is that Afghanistan is kind of like Idaho. Our people are independent village people. They'd rather do it themselves. They don't trust anybody from outside. Whereas Panama, a very cosmopolitan country, Panama City in particular, just a cosmopolitan place. There are lots of media. Afghanistan, rural, not a lot of media. So the target audience, totally different. Uh, I wrote some, some postings early on in the blog. The blog is over a decade old. I wrote some postings about how success in Afghanistan would have to be from the village up and recognizing tribes. You know, um, if you're interested in, in understanding this in, in depth, I highly recommend the book, The Spider and the Starfish, because that talks about leaderless organizations. And while uh, the uh, Afghan uh, situation was not leaderless, the Taliban were kind of tribal. You know, there was no national center of gravity, so. Uh, does uh, Army PSYOP coordinate with the U.S. entertainment industry? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, they could conceivably hire entertainment people as contractors to film and do things, but not, not, not as well, not integrated, not very big, not formal, not a big deal as far as I know. Earlier, you talked about origins of uh, the black, white, and gray. Uh, uh, Lieutenant Sammy asked if that exists anymore. I, I think so. The classification exists in the study of propaganda. Okay. However, 
because we have things like bots, uh, it makes it a little harder. I don't know if it's as clean. I think today's uh, today's jargon is the gray zone in terms of influence operations. Mm -hmm. I would research the gray zone. Um, Nyla, we uh, we answered this question earlier that uh, SIOP can be used domestically to assist the uh, federal agencies, but is not authorized for use against for the U.S. population in general. And certainly it's, it's got to be part of a civil where SIOP is an information provider. It's merely a conduit of information, right. probably doesn't even make the messages up. So let's take a hurricane, uh, FEMA and Red Cross would have resources available. SIOP would send out a loudspeaker or put up a radio station. This is uh, Radio Hurricane Ivan. We have just uh, put a, a cleaning kit distribution point at the corner of Biscayne Boulevard and Ocean View. So uh, purely used as an information resource. Um, Nicholas asked, is there an, uh, an example you can think of where PSYOPA backfired on this? No, I can't really think of one offhand. I'm sure there must be. And if I ask Mr. Google, he might know, but I personally cannot, cannot think of one. Although, um, well, let me, let me tell a story if I may. Sure, go ahead, please. And for those of you who do speaking, let me give you one of my favorite little, little lines, which is, do you know the difference between a fairy tale and a war story? One starts once upon a time, the other starts, this is no poop. Okay. Yeah. So this is no poop. <clears throat> While I was in Bosnia, the, uh, the Republic of Srpska sits right on top of the Bosnian Republic, and there's a bunch of TV antennas that go down the spine of the country, where TV broadcasts go up and down in the Republic of Srpska. The hardliners were in Palais, the more uh, liberal guys were in Banja Luka, and somewhere down here, a town was broadcasting messages uh, to attack NATO forces, and so the 1st Infantry Division took the TV tower, and as a condition of giving the TV tower back, the TV station in Palais had to provide airtime to NATO. And so when this happened, for reasons that remain a mystery to me, the PSYOP campaign got to be the liaison to kind of go in the middle of this. So NATO had an hour of airtime. So one night uh, we had the uh, French deputy commanding general come down, General Montsui, and he brought uh, a case of champagne to the studio. And he was a well, talking head. I have no idea if the viewers liked him or not. And uh, he gave out champagne. One night we had Jacques Klein, who was the representative of the office of the high representative. And when he went down, to, they had black suburbans and sirens and all kinds of stuff just interfering with traffic. And my boss calls me up. He says, Dietz, you need to go ride to Palais with the British ambassador, he's going to be on the air. Okay. So uh, we go to, I go to the British embassy, which was like a house. I get in, go right in, the ambassador is waiting for you. And 
Now, it'll be just a moment. I'm going to fill my pen, use the loo. I said, okay. I said, oh, nice picture of the Olympics. He says, oh, that's me. I was a coach, the Winter Olympics in Sarajevo. That's interesting. So we go outside. There's one Land Rover, one Land Rover. Good-sized driver with an automatic weapon on the seat, but one vehicle. And off we go to Pali. No lights, no siren, just a car. I said, uh, Mr. Ambassador, do you have any uh, interpreter? He says, no need. I speak Serbo-Croatian. So the point is that you have to be credible, like I said. You have to be believable and you have to be likable. In the sales business, we say that the prospect has to kind of like you as a person before they'll listen to anything you have to say. So in terms of backfiring, I think the Jacques Klein thing was probably not so good, but that wasn't PSYOP. That was influence operation. And I think the British, who had a guy who spoke the language, they were successful. Good. Han gets back to us. It's the, the Chinese United Front Works Department, which conducts whole of government influence operations outside China. Um, well, I think, I think I've already said that yes. China is very successful at using a whole of government approach, including harnessing their moving picture industry. And right. And I'll uh, refer you on to Larry's blog on that, too, because you had a blog post on the Chinese movie industry. In the, I did. And in the, the Chinese do not have a First Amendment the last time I looked. Right. Uh how is the U.S. addressing and combating misinformation from countries like Russia and China? Do you have an opinion on that? Not well. I mean, the U.S. probably has very little access, uh, very little access to denied areas. I mean, the Chinese can't even say what they're saying, they're thinking. Neither can the Russians. Right, Max? You want to get out? Stand by. When we work at home, we have important office mates. Max the dog is mine. Okay, let's move on. All right. Um, how would you uh, conduct PSYOP to better relations with Russia, China, and China from the US? Is there is there a way to do that? I'm thinking. Well, I don't know if the word is psyop, but I, I think that there there could be ways. I I don't know what they are right now, to uh, try and find areas where there's common commonality. I mean, my personal feeling at the moment, again, my personal feeling, is that China is more of a of a rational broker here than Russia. Russia is involved in Ukraine. And Mr. Putin does not want to look like a fool. And so his exit's going to be pretty messy. Whereas China doesn't want the assets of the world blown up because they're, excuse me, partially in it for the dough. So. Neil asks, is SIOP now an acronistic descriptor uh, and no longer standing alone as, uh, or is it forming parts, as it forms parts of uh, hybrid concept of warfare? Well, I, I, I think PSYOP and MISO 
are not really good uh, acronyms that describe what that military unit do. Uh, my friends in the Bundeswehr had a, an information-related descriptor. But yeah, Neil, I would have to say, I, I don't think PSYOP or MISO is a really great uh, brand, if you will, for that kind of military operation. And at the moment, uh, I don't, uh, I think the Germans call it operational information. That may be better. Paralleling what's happened in the commercial sector where SCADA, supervisory controlled data acquisition, is now operational technology. And so there, there should be an evolution of that acronym, but that's pretty much out of my pay grade. Well, uh, Colonel, thank you very much for this uh, presentation today uh, and addressing all our questions about SIOP. Also, the very the valuable uh, references uh, that you provide. I uh, invite our audience to uh, check out his blog, which he posts on regularly and gives good commentary on how to better understand what's going on in the world of psychological operations. Thank you, Mike. My pleasure. Thanks. And uh, everybody uh, who's joined us today, I invite you to, uh, to join us again next month, where we'll be having two programs for inside intelligence. Uh, one on November 9th will deal with complexity and the challenge for intelligence analysis. And that will be our guest will be Josh Kerbel of National Intelligence University. And on November 16th, we also will have a, a two, two guests uh, who will from uh, the South Korea who will discuss the nuclear politics on the Korean Peninsula. I hope you're able to join us for those programs. So for now, this is uh, Michael Ard and uh, from Johns Hopkins, thanking our guest again, uh, Colonel Lawrence Dietz and Peter Huggins for his event support. And we'll see you then next time in November.